we're going to turn to the Word of God now. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 5, if you would. Uh, and um, we're going to answer another question. <laughs> We've been doing that. For those who are not aware, uh, way, way back, we well, every year we actually put out an opportunity for people to ask the oracle, and we're doing it this year, but we're doing it now uh, uh, a little bit at a time, no doubt, uh, and answering a, a question here and there. This particular question is, um, um, well, it could be answered very simply. There are many... Oh, we haven't got rid of uh, Dave and Mary. What's, can we have that up on the screen? Yeah, Beth seems to be troubled by that for some reason or other. Anyway, we have, we have Dave and Mary on our screen, but that's okay. You've got me, I take it. Maybe you prefer Dave and Mary to be on your screen. Anyway, we've got, we've got to sort it out, I believe. All right. Um, so, um, this, as I said, we can answer a lot of these questions very simply. Um, uh, but, you know, as you know, I'm inclined to want to make uh, a little more out of it. And so we will. We'll make a whole talk out of this one. Uh, the question is this. There are two people recorded in the Bible who did not experience death. Why is that? There were many other faithful people in the Bible. Why did only two of them not experience death? What made them different from the others? Now, the two people we're talking about here are Enoch and Elijah. And the circumstances surrounding their life, particularly the end of it, well, the end of their existence on the planet at least, um, are quite intriguing and very interesting. And, uh, and quite a lot of people want to um, speculate about uh, what it all means. So we'll have a look at it. It certainly generates a lot of questions, more than just perhaps the question we've got, because that itself generates some other uh, intriguing thoughts. Let's read Genesis 5 and verse 22. Now, in Genesis 5, it's, it's genealogy. We're hearing a lot of people who are, uh, are being born and begatting kids and then dying. In the middle of all of that, we read about a man called Enoch. We don't get any other details, particularly other than we're reading here, and we don't get any details about uh, the other people at all, other than when we get down to Noah a little later. But in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 5, And Enoch walked with God and begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we don't read much else here, obviously, a little bit later on about him, but not very much either. So there's not a lot of information about this particular man. It stands in stark contrast to the others. They are all living and dying, and he's living, and God took him. Very different, of course. He was not. Now, his life was curtailed. If you look at the length of the life of these other people, it's quite long. His is quite relatively short compared to those. And just lets us know really that God is not all that fussed about the amount of time we spend on this planet. He's not always concerned about uh, this being the epitome of what it's all about, uh, living in the flesh. I think God's got a higher calling than all of that. And uh, so he's not troubled by the fact that lives may vary. Uh, and he was quite happy to, I suppose, in a way, relieve uh, this man from the circumstances because things were already starting to become a little bit troublesome and they got worse and worse and greater corruption took place. On previous occasions we've answered some of those things in Genesis 6 and, and when you get to Genesis 6 of course you're talking about Noah and the corruption that was there that so bad that God decided to dish out his judgment and the flood that came into being. So uh, 
Yes, there were other people that God could have chosen uh, to represent this situation. He chose, as it turns out, Enoch and Elijah to represent what really his life is all about. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about a glorious future. They, they, those two people were representatives, you might say. Uh, as it turns out, uh, Enoch was a, a representation in what we might call the patriarchal period leading up to the giving of the law. And then Elijah was a representative of the law and prophet period. And then, of course, then came Jesus Christ, who did die, but, uh, of course, he conquered death. He had to die. He had to die on our behalf for all mankind. He had to deal with our sins. And he did all of that, and he rose again. So we have a, a representation from each era, as it were, throughout the Bible. And Enoch and Elijah were the two that God chose. I don't think that in any way says that they were necessarily so much better than anybody else. There are lots of men and women who were faithful then. There are still people alive who are very faithful in the things of God across the globe and involved in all sorts of situations which they have to contend with and opposition they have to face. But these two were representatives uh, of, of all the faithful and they were letting, God was letting people know that faithful people are going to have an end result like this. They will be taken by the Lord ultimately whether they're in the grave and raised up or whether they're alive when the Lord returns. And so the, the message here is that we can learn from that, that there is something more than just living and just dying, that there is a glorious future, that God has a, a plan for us. And yes, we can also learn from these two people, as we can learn from all the other faithful ones in the Bible, about their life, about their situation and circumstances. We're not told much about Enoch. We can read a lot more about Elijah. We're not doing that today. We're just focusing on Enoch. But we could uh, uh, read about lots of different people and lots of different things. But in the midst of this sort of um, humdrum of life and uh, the menial tasks of life, which no doubt Enoch was involved in, he was begetting kids too, and he had all the relationships and all the situations he had to deal with. He had his joys and his sorrows, he had his sadnesses, he had his disappointments, no doubt. We don't read about them. We don't read about his exploits. We don't read about the things he had to contend with. But he was living in this same period of time. Things were getting a little worse as far as uh, uh, believing in God and trusting in God. There was corruption in the things uh, that they were perhaps not meant to be involved in and so on. So there are various aspects of his lives life that we don't know about but we can assume that uh, there were plenty of things that took place just as they normally would we can read uh, in hebrews 11 because there is a mention of him i won't get you to turn to it but it says this by faith this is hebrews 11 verse 5 by faith enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because god had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. In the Hebrew, the, the connotation of walking with God actually involves pleasing God in the original Hebrew. So there's sort of just a reiteration of that. That this man, whatever he was doing, and we don't read about any great thing that he did particularly, we don't read him fighting uh, various enemies or uh, dealing with people or uh, uh, other miracles and stuff, things like that. We just simply read about him... Uh, walking with God and having this testimony. So uh, maybe God was very gracious to this man to take him out at that particular time. 
And then the argument would be, well, okay, well, what about the rest of us that have had difficulties? Why didn't someone else get taken out a bit earlier? Well, they will be ultimately. We're all going to be taken away from this eventually. If we happen to die first, well, that doesn't make any difference. We'll still be taken away from all of this. And that's the message. And these are samples, as it were, illustrations. This is what God's got in mind. If you walk well-pleasing with God, then you will be at some point a was-not. That's the message, that there's something higher and grander than all of this. Now, obviously, God revealed himself to Enoch because we can read in the book of Jude, and it's rather interesting that uh, he is described there as the seventh from Adam. I wonder why that was there, other than the fact that number seven is God's seal, and maybe this is another sort of emphasis that he's a, a sample, that God is telling us something here, that he represents all those that are faithful. And God just simply chose him as an illustration of all those who are faithful are going to have a wonderful end result. But God obviously spoke to uh, Enoch about judgment. For you read in the book of Jude, Enoch prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his, of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I don't know exactly how this came about, how God spoke to him, but to be a man of faith in Hebrews 11, you have to be have spoken to by God or you have to hear God's word, you have to believe God's word and you have to act on God's word. So somehow or other, if Enoch is in Hebrews chapter 11, and he is, by faith Enoch was translated, he had to hear about judgment and translation. He had to hear about a different result. He had to hear, maybe he was troubled by the things he was dealing with at that time. And God spoke to him and God revealed to him that there is a judgment coming. Ultimately, the, the, the ultimate judgment, of course, against this world. But there was a judgment coming even, of course, following the time of Enoch when the flood came into being. So uh, this man must have heard about judgment and he heard and spoke of, of that. And he heard about translation and he experienced translation. And maybe, I don't know how many others saw this all happen. Suddenly Enoch was and then he was not. It could have caused a bit of stir, I would imagine, back then when suddenly he disappears uh, and uh, there a bit of consternation. Well, I don't know exactly how all that unfolded. We could speculate about that. But, but people knew he had a family and he would have had contacts. I guess he had some neighbours or whatever. There were quite a lot of people around the place and suddenly... He didn't die, he just was not. We don't know, of course, what happened to him, and that's the question that maybe the person who asked me the question didn't have in mind, but maybe they did. Um, where is Enoch? What happened to Enoch? We're not told. We're just simply told he was not, and God translated him, whatever that means. Well, you can read around if you wanted to and you can find a lot of people speculating about what happened to Enoch. The simple answer to that question is we don't know because we are not told exactly what happened to him. But of course a lot of people assume that he went straight to heaven, didn't pass go, didn't collect his 200, went straight to, straight to heaven. But if you read John chapter 3, which I'm going to from the Amplified, these are the words of Jesus. Who knows a bit about heaven? He said this, No one has ever gone up to heaven. That's what he said. 
But there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man himself, who is, that is, dwells, has his home in heaven. Now, we can wrangle around, if you like, with John chapter 3 and try to explain that maybe Jesus was saying something else or he'd forgotten about Elijah or he'd forgotten about Enoch or whatever. This is the word of God speaking, the word of God to us. And so there is no one who's gone up to heaven, it says there. So where did whatever happen to Enoch? Well, we don't know. Wherever? However, we don't really know. But we do know that God took him. And if God took him, I can fairly confidently say that God will take care of him, that he'll be in God's custody somehow or other. His soul, not, not worrying too much about a physical body here, that's not the issue at all. We're not going to have a physical body when the Lord returns. We're going to be transfigured. We're going to be glorified. So we can just assume happily that God took him and God will be watching after him and wherever he is, perhaps asleep in, in, in the soul sense of things, but, but it doesn't matter. Because once again, there's a danger that we might miss the point. Now, before I move on a bit, if you know a little bit about Elijah, the word heaven does get a mention there in the particular part that deals with Elijah being taken. And we'll come back to that and we'll reconcile that with John chapter 3. Because I don't think either of those, of course, by John chapter 3, since no one has ever gone up to heaven, that we can't have, obviously, Elijah or Enoch, or Enoch or Elijah, whichever one you want to put first, up in heaven floating around somewhere other. But they're certainly both in God's custody. The real focus here is not for us to speculate about, oh, what happened to Enoch? Where is he? Let's write a thesis about it. Let's have a book. And we'll write a whole book about our thoughts and ideas about what happened to Enoch. We missed the point. The real question here is why? Why did God take Enoch as an example for us to learn by? Not that we can't learn from every other person that we see, one way, good way, bad ways. We can learn from all the other people that have gone before us. We can learn from one another. We can be encouraged and inspired. But obviously, clearly, in the middle of all of this begotten kids here, the Lord wanted us to focus a little bit on, on walking with God. That's what it's all about. He's an example for us. Not what happens to him. We are confident what's going to happen if we get it right. In Genesis 5 and verse 24, another translation says this. Enoch enjoyed a close relationship with God throughout his life. That's what it's about. Enjoying, cultivating, developing a close relationship with God. And the message here is if you do that, if you walk with God, then the end result of that is you'll be taken up. You'll rise to meet the Lord in the air or you'll be resurrected from the grave, whatever. Adam and Eve had this privilege. They walked and talked with God and they forfeited that privilege and they lost it. And the Lord is saying, you know what? You can get it back again. Individual people can walk and talk with me can commune with me, can have fellowship with me, can be one with me, can develop a, a, a relationship with me. And, and so doing, of course. And we don't know exactly how he did all of that. We just It's just summed up in a matter of a few words here. But we do know that it pleased God, of course. Just before I go on, I wanted to just, I want to talk today about walking with God. 
even though the question was sort of maybe well bypassed the question now we've we've dealt with the question in a way these are representatives but there's a significance here why Enoch particularly well because he walked with God and we uh, I looked up, I googled uh, records, walking records. Do you know that there are actually hundreds of walking records uh, around the world? I'll just give you a couple because they're rather curious. Uh, And uh, walking is sort of in now. I think we're allowed to go a little bit further now and go out a bit later at night now, apparently. You can go out at 10 o'clock and walk uh, if you want to. So walking is sort of, there's only a few things left we're able to do in Melbourne and walking is one of them. So we sort of, uh, it's become a bit more fashionable to do a bit more walking. In fact, as we drove uh, in today, there's people everywhere walking around uh, just to get out a little bit of sunshine in Melbourne. One record here was by a guy called George Megan. It describes him as a British adventurer and an alternative educator. I don't know what an alternative educator is. Anyway, you can tell me later. Best known for the longest unbroken walk of the Western Hemisphere from the southern tip of South America to the northernmost part of Alaska, 30,608 kilometres. He did in six and a half years. He walked for six and a half years. Well, that's sort of straight out walking, I suppose, but it's a lot of, of it. But I, another one was the longest distance walking barefoot on Lego bricks. That's a, that's a world record. Nearly four kilometres of walking barefoot on Lego bricks. They Apparently in this great auditorium, they built these sort of trenches, uh, you know, with wood on either side and filled them up with Lego bricks. And he, he just walked around and walked around. They measured that he, he travelled actually 3,869.84 metres. Why? <laughs> You'd have to think. Anyway, he did that. Um, a guy in uh, Ohio, uh, only, uh, um, by the way, this guy did this uh, last year, only November last year. There you go. A guy in Ohio, named by the name of Mike, walked backwards about 60 metres while juggling three bowling balls. Well, that's pretty important. Uh, in Death Valley, also in the year 2016, another Michael walked 35 kilometres in 24 hours while pulling a 2.2-tonne Ford F-150 truck. Is that possible? I guess so. One and a half kilometres an hour he walked pulling a truck. Okay. Another guy, this is an Indian one for you Indian folk out there. This is an Indian man, Suresh, walked about 175 metres while balancing a broom on his chin. Oh, we'll just sweep that away. All right. Um, In Milan, in Italy... A record setter lifted a 150 kilogram barbell while walking 4.5 meters barefoot through broken glass. And there's a little warning attached to this one. It says, warning, this record can be extremely dangerous. Please do not attempt this record unless you're above the age of 18. I don't know what that means. Maybe you've got tougher feet after that. And, and, and you are trained as a professional stuntman. We will not accept submissions in this category from minors. Anyway, I won't go on about that. Look, there are hundreds of people attempting various types of walks, but there's only one walk that's going to get you translated, and that's if you walk with God. And you can put all your names in various other books, if you like, and all your record books and Guinness Book of Records and so on, but if you want your name in the Nam's Book of Life, you better walk with God. In Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, you might want to go over to that, and verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
So a little snippet we got about Enoch, and now we get to a lot more detail, of course, about Noah, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect man, upright and complete in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So we got two people here in this long list of genealogy who walked with God. In the case of uh, Enoch, God used him as an example of, well, ultimate translation. In the case of Noah, well, he's demonstrated that when judgment comes, you'll be delivered. You won't suffer the destruction. You won't suffer the wrath of God because you're walking with God. Now, I mentioned uh, Hebrews uh, 11 before, that Enoch appears in Hebrews 11. Well, uh, so does Noah. As it turns out, Enoch appears in verse 5 of Hebrews 11 and Noah appears in verse 7. And between those two, these two men that walked with God that appear in Hebrews chapter 11 is a very famous verse. It's obviously verse 6 because it appears between 5 and 7. And here is verse 6 from the Amplified. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Oh, we're familiar with this verse. I would suggest we read this often, particularly when you get to Hebrews 11. And be, it is impossible to please God and be satisfactory to him, for whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he, God, is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. So here is the key verse, or one of the key verses of Hebrews 11. On the previous side of that in verse 5, and Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him because before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. So if, if you're believing in God and you're following God's principles and you're earnestly and diligently seeking him, on the one side of the coin is that you will be translated. On the other side of the coin is therefore that you'll miss all the judgment, you'll be spared all of that, of course, if you're taken up to meet the Lord in the air. So verse 7 says this in the Amplified, prompted by faith, Noah being forewarned by God concerning events of which he had yet there was no visible sign, he took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. By this, that is his faith which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir and possessor of righteousness. That, rela- that is, that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. So you see, Enoch and Noah are very significant, both walking with God and chosen for different circumstances. Noah chosen to build a boat to show that this, there's a way to get through all of this. And Enoch telling us what's the end result of getting through all of this. What's it all about? What are we aiming for? This life? No. Let's do what we're supposed to do in this life, but let's remind ourselves there's something beyond all of that. Now, we don't know all the details about his life, but we do know uh, that he walked with God. And that's all that God apparently wanted us to know. He didn't want us to know of the, the things he had to deal with particularly or the people or the circumstance or the relationships or family members or people that let him down and disappointments or, or the opposition he, he faced. No doubt he would. If you stand up for God, you're always going to face God. But the message was, be like Enoch. 
Align yourself with God. Walk in step with him. It says in Amos, can two walk together except they be agreed? We're familiar with that. If we're going to walk with God, we need to be in agreement with him in his word, in his principles, of what he expects of us, what is pleasing to him, what we're required to do, what our reactions are as far as God's word is concerned, how we are to deal with one another, how we are to establish our relationship with him, what we're required to do in every sense, how we are to be in harmony with God, walking in step with him. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, we're talking really today not so much about Enoch and certainly not about Elijah particularly, but what's required of us. If Enoch is wonderfully blessed by walking with God and the end result of that is translation to whatever might have been back then, but of course for us we know we're going to be very much in the presence of God and no doubt Enoch will in time be too and Elijah and many, many others, of course. And if that's what's required, then let's make sure we do it. But we're reminded here in Ephesians chapter 2 what we were like. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That's how we walked, according to the course of this world, the ways, the fashion, the dispensation of this world. That was our life. Whatever it involved, in some cases it involved, well, drugs and heroin and all sorts of things. In other cases it might have been like me, a bit of a goody two-shoes, but I was still walking the course of this world and I was involved in gambling. Others were involved in all sorts of things. Some people just live their life and it's fairly mundane and ordinary and that's the trouble. It's just ordinary and it's not, ordinary stuff is not going to get you there. We need the supernatural, we need the miraculous, we need the power of God. So we walked according to the ways of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's what we were, dead in trespasses and sin, walking, ambling along, no particular thought or direction about what life was really all about, not giving it much thought in many cases. I didn't own a Bible. I didn't particularly go to church for any church reason. I didn't seek out God. I didn't look for, to find out what was walking with, with God. And by the way, walking with God is synonymous, synonymous with walking in the Spirit because God is a spirit anyway, so walking with him would be walking in harmony with God. God's spirit, of course. So let's read there, uh, among whom also, verse 3, we all, all of us, in one form or another, had our conversation in times past, our way of life, our walk, our journey, our step-by-step life, among, uh, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, the very essence of us, the children of wrath, even as others. So there was no translation in store for us, and there was no escaping destruction. There was no escaping God's judgment whatsoever. The Amplified Bible says, And you were following the course and the fashion of this world. You were under the sway and tendency of this present age. Another translation says, You went along with the crowd, and you were just like all the others. How many times can we think back to our life, how you just did things? Why did I try to start smoking? 
because it was a wonderful thing to do. No, because friends were doing that. Why did we go to a hotel? Why did I do that? Why was I going out with the, the, my fellow school teachers on Friday nights at the pub? Because I liked that scene? No. I wanted to be in when I went with the flow. It was, and I'm sure all of us have got many, many stories how we, we went with the flow. We went with people, went to please them, or we just did it because everyone else was doing it. That was the way of it. We went, we walked away, the people walked around us. And we did those things. We lived our life, our associations, our lifestyle was caught up with the, the things that other people did. Sometimes we might have enjoyed them. Maybe it was a release to us. Maybe we got involved in some pleasure out of them. But all of those things were just the way of the world and the way of the flesh particularly. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. I'm just picking a few verses here. Verse 17. This I say therefore, in verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, the way we used to walk and the others are still walking that way, in the vanity, the futility, the the uselessness and the emptiness and the purposelessness of their mind. All of those things, no matter how great and significant we thought they were and how many great and significant things people still feel they're doing or involved in, maybe some make a bit of an impact here and there or whatever, but in the greater, grander scheme of things, when we're talking about translation, when we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about a new age, how insignificant are so many things that we feel are, are, are so important to us. So so much attention's given to them and so little attention to the things of God. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, the hardness of their heart, it says in the margin, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, reckless readiness for every self-indulgence. How does that describe our world? This reckless abandonment of, of law and of order and of morality and of truth and of righteousness. How we've just given ourselves over to every conceivable evil in this world. Lasciviousness to all, to work uncleanness with greediness. So the Bible's making it clear that, well, there's another path altogether, isn't there? There are two separate paths. There is a broad way which so many people are walking on comfortably. And there's a straight and narrow way. There's a specified way. And there are few that are walking in that. But there's only two walks. You either walk as the Gentiles do or you walk as Enoch and Noah did. You walk with God. There's only two. In Romans 8, you either walk in the flesh or you walk in the spirit. And walking in the flesh is enmity to God. And you cannot please God walking in the flesh. It's impossible, the Bible says. No matter how much you tidy up your life, no matter how many things you want to trim off or uh, uh, say you're going to do or how you're going to improve or whatever, whatever resolutions you make, it is impossible, of course. So one leads to death and the other leads to life everlasting. One leads to uh, hell and the other leads to heaven. That, that's the choice. There's nothing in between. There's no purgatories. There's no limbo land. It doesn't exist. It's one or the other. So you either walk with God or you're not walking with God. And for those in Noah's time that didn't walk with God, we know what happened. Sad, only eight people were saved on the ark. Eight people. 
out of thousands. Well, it'll be a relatively small number out of billions when the Lord returns, of course. It says in Psalm 1, I won't get to turn to these because I'm just going to just whip through a few verses here. In Psalm 1, right at the very verse first, verse of Psalms, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Make sure you're separate. You're not walking in their ways and their principles and living their lifestyles and so on. Not dictated to by the world and the world's fashions. Not being bullied uh, in one way or another to conform to this world and its ways. The direction it's taking, the life it's living, the immorality and its standards. In Proverbs 13 it says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Don't make your companionship with fools, people who don't understand God, don't understand his principles. Sometimes we just got a mix, of course, because we've got work and we've got school or various things and college, education, bits and pieces, but we're not going to take our directions from them. We're not going to make our choices because of their opinions and their ideas. We're not going to be swayed by the press. We're not going to be swayed by politicians. We're not going to be swayed by family members who might be contrary and might be antagonistic. And that's what happens sometimes. We go home and we tell people, as, as our folk in India did, I hope they don't mind me mentioning this, but our folk in India uh, tried to uh, tell everybody and, and their family and others that how wonderful it all is, and it is all wonderful, but they didn't get a very nice reception. In fact, it was quite a hostile reception. But keep rejoicing because we're blessed, sisters, in India, because the Lord is on our side. So we don't always get a, a good res result and people quite often make a determined effort to put us off. And they'll bring us books, and they'll show us a video, and they'll tell us what this man said, or, or what the, the Catholic priest said, or what the Hindu guy said, or whatever. And they'll, they'll try to undermine our belief. That's what happens. But we're not going to be swayed by that, because we're walking with God. Our relationship is with God. It's not with people. We have fleshly relationship of all sorts, no doubt but our motivations and our appreciations are with God, of course. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, walk not according to the flesh. In Jude 18, walk not after ungodly lusts. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, walk not disorderly, out of step, out of rank, out of position with the things of God. 2 Corinthians 4, not walking in craftiness, handling the word of God deceitfully. Don't do that. How many people, we spoke about this recently, about deceit, and how many people are, have got their own religious ideas of which they believe and try to convince us are, are quite sound and accurate, and yet they've eliminated tongues, or they've eliminated hell, or they've eliminated something else. Uh, so all sorts of ideas come into their thinking, and some or other in their writings and their books and their videos and their DVDs and their TV shows and YouTube and all the rest of it, uh, they're trying to convince us uh, that uh, what they believe is true and what we believe is not. Well, we're not going to be deceived. We don't walk in their counsel. We walk in the truth of God's word. In Jeremiah 18, walk not after your own devices. Got to be careful about our own opinions about things, what we may form uh, ideas about, our own devices or the things that we've uh, decided we can justify for ourselves. And the imaginations, don't walk after your own imaginations of your evil heart, it says in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, walk not in lies. We spoke about this. 
There's no such thing as a white lie. You either tell the truth or you're not, one or the other, and God has a lot to say about those who are not. Jeremiah 9 says, walk not with slanderers. Be careful about gossip and undermining people and saying things which are putting others down, particularly, of course, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 8, walk not after other gods. Now, that might apply to, well, obviously we wouldn't put a, a, a statue of a Buddha on our mantelpiece, perhaps, uh, but uh, it's more than just religious gods in terms of icons and images and so on and uh, things on the wall. We don't have bleeding hearts and this sort of stuff. Uh, we don't have those sort of things. Of course not. That's pretty obvious. But we, but again, religious ideas can creep in. And so we're, we're serving other gods because there are other ideas and other philosophies and other theolog- theological type precepts. Or it may be that we've got our own gods, the gods of work or the gods of sport or the, the gods of music or whatever else. We've got things which take up our time and distract us. So we're not walking after the one and true God because we're meandering off on various other directions. We're looking at different things. And so uh, we're, in a way, walking after other gods. It says in Daniel chapter 4, walk not in pride. That's obvious. In Jeremiah 2, walk not after things that do not profit. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we've got to do things that ultimately don't have any great long-standing value. We've got to stick to looking after the garden or something like that or make sure we uh, paint the wall or whatever. And you think to yourself, oh, well, there's no eternal profit in that, although it helps now, no doubt. But we're talking here about making decisions which are going to take us away from what really is profitable. We should be laying up treasure in heaven and we need to make sure that therefore we're not in any way interfering with that. The things around us and the things that we're involved in in our various activities are not taking us away from meetings, whether it be Zoom or in real life sometime, or whether it's our reading or our prayer prayer times, or whether it's ringing up people and encouraging them and uh, keeping others in mind and so on, all of those things. Um, our brother Paul Derbyshire on Wednesday night talked about having a ball and chain. It's very hard to walk with a ball and chain around your ankle, being shackled in somewhere or other. And he mentioned, I'm sure, some of these things. I know he mentioned pride. I remember that bit. Uh, And uh, so this is what's reminding us here. If you're going to tie yourself down with these other attitudes and these other principles, you're going to find it a bit sluggish to be able to really stretch it out and stride out in the things of God and really walk with him. Ephesians chapter 4, we're still in, and we're going to read verse 20 now. But you have not so learned Christ. We read about what the Gentiles are doing. We've been, to- I've told you about some of the things about where the Lord is warning us about not to walk and how not to walk and so on. But we, we want to look at some things, of course, which remind us of what we're supposed to be doing. We haven't so learned Christ. Therefore, it says in verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation. Stop walking the way you used to walk. Stop reacting the way you used to react. Stop uh, spending your time and being devoted to those things which were of no profit to you ultimately, didn't get you saved, won't get you translated, won't get you pleasing God, won't get you in right standing with God. So the Bible's making it clear there are some things we've got to put off and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man, start walking, striding out in the spirit now. We're walking in the spirit no longer in the flesh, which is, of course, created in righteousness and true holiness, we read. So we're told here there are steps to be taken. 
We've got to make sure that we line ourselves up with God's word and God's ways and God's principles. And we might have to always uh, set the compass again, get ourselves uh, back into tune and back into line again. And we need to be, the more we're praying, the more we're reading, the more we're tuning into meetings, the more we're thinking about the Lord. Do you wake up and think about the Lord? Because if he's your best friend, you will. And you'll go to bed with the Lord on your mind as well. This is the way it works. Because he's the one, he's the close association. When you go walking with a friend, I think you're allowed to do that now in Melbourne here, uh, you need to be agreed where you're going to meet, you need to be agreed where you're going to walk, you need to agree how long you're going to spend and so on. And what, are you not going to talk to each other for the next hour? What's the point? You might as well just go and exercise somewhere else in your backyard. So the idea is if you're walking with someone with a friend, surely you're communing, you're sharing, you're talking, you're uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, talking about the Lord in this case in terms of the, the people, someone in the Lord, uh, and there's and, and events and testimonies and circumstances. and You might be talking about your life, you might be talking about work or whatever. But, so when you're talking to the Lord, surely as a friend, as our Saviour, as our Lord, as our Master, as our God Almighty, then we're going to be communing with him, talking with him, sharing with him. That's how it works. Talk to the Lord. And he'll answer you, not you know, not with some strange voice in the middle of a corner of a room somewhere or other, but we'll get our answer always from the Lord. We'll get our reassurance. We'll get that peace that our sister spoke about. We'll get a recognition that he's in touch with us. We'll have our security and our safety, of course. Down to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to go over time today, aren't I? Verse 1, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Be ye therefore followers of God. We're going to walk with him. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself to us a sin offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Well, when Jesus came down, he certainly walked in love and we need to make sure that we're walking in love too. That's our walk. We love one another. We love the Lord. We love what he's done for us. That's our motivation as we're walking along. I mean, when you go out now, I'm doing a little bit of walking myself, as it turns out. No, it's not all that strenuous, but I walk around the block a little few times here and there. And uh, I got my little watch that gives me the time of what I've done and uh, how much uh, energy I've expended or whatever and how many chocolate cake I can eat when I get home because of that or whatever. And, and, and you're aware of that and you're conscious of that and it's sort of a motivation. Well, of course, we're walking in love. We, we've got a motivation here. We want to please the Lord. We want to be in tune with him. We want to be in harmony and agreement with him. And we want to know the end result of that. In the case of natural walking, well, you're supposed to feel a bit better, aren't you? When you get after you do this for a couple of months, six months, two years, whatever you keep doing, you lose perhaps a bit of weight. You feel a bit better. You've got a bit of a more of a sprightly step. You can actually do a little break and do a jog every now and again. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the aim, isn't it, to sort of to make yourself a little more healthy? Well, walking with God is about your spiritual health, about your spiritual well-being. And that's far more significant because no matter how good this body might be when you get into your 70s or if you survive to your 80s or 90s, you know eventually it's going to switch off. We know that. But what we do for the Lord is for eternity. And we need to make sure we know that too. Down to verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are enlightened people now. We know where we're going. We know why we're walking. We know uh, what's pleasing the Lord. And we're determined to make sure we do it. 
and we'll check ourselves and we'll discipline ourselves. I didn't read out, did I, uh, the names uh, of uh, Enoch. If you look up different uh, encyclopedias, uh, biblical encyclopedias, you can get different names for Enoch. Here are four of them. Dedicated, disciplined. This is the word Enoch, what it means. Dedicated, disciplined, initiated and consecrated. Wow. Are we not those or should we not be those? That's the way our walk should be. And our walk a closer walk with thee, that sometimes we might sing, our closer walk with thee is going to determine our choices, the direction we take, the decisions we make, how we react, how we respond, how we appreciate, how we give thanks, how we interact with people uh, in or out of the Lord, how we're determined to preach the gospel, how we understand the, the world's state of affairs. Um, Trudeau, who's the Prime Minister of Canada, wrote or said, and it was written about what he said, he said, and I read it this morning, the world is in crisis, he said. And he also said, not just because of the pandemic, but because the way we are, he said, because of us people, the world is in crisis. And he went on to say, and it's not going to get any better. We know that. Judgment is at the door. Translation awaits us, of course. So when you think about, well, when you're walking in the Spirit or walking with God, you have a different reaction. You think about Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies. Think of their reactions. The ten spies who were not walking with God, who didn't trust God, who didn't believe God, who didn't understand and appreciate, they came back and said, it's hopeless. There are giants everywhere. We're grasshoppers. We've got no hope in the world. We're going to be trampled underfoot. There's no future for us. Joshua and Caleb came back and the Bible says they had a different kind of spirit a different attitude, a different appreciation. Ten walking in the flesh and viewing and reacting in the flesh, rebelling, feeling despair in the flesh. Joshua and Caleb, no, we are well able. God before us, who can be against us? A vastly different attitude altogether. And they came back with obedience and appreciation. Let's read verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And down in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So we learn from the preceding things and many verses I've left out, and many other verses in different books. That's why we read, that's why we study, that's why we show ourselves. A workman rightly dividing the truth here and how to live our life, how to walk with God, how to make sure our relationship is not fractured, is not damaged in some way or other, that our fellowship with him is intact and pure and holy and righteousness and based on truth and based on our appreciation and our thanksgiving and our love. I just jotted down here about uh, the story you might recall when Moses came out with the people of Israel and they were walking through the wilderness there and they came to Edom. And this was the statement that Moses made to the king of Edom. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left and we'll, until we have passed by thy borders. 
Well, maybe in this world we've got to partake a little here and there and so on. But that's, but the principle of that is get your sights fixed on what we're going to. Though we're going to the promised land, we've got to go through the world. We've got to go through you, Edom. But we won't touch this stuff. We're not going to be embroiled in that. We're not going to be partaking of what you've got to offer us. We just, we've set our sights on the kingdom to come, on the glory to come, on the majesty and power to come. And that's where we're fixed. And that's the message we've got to have. It says in Galatians, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we saturate our soul with the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, it's not, it's not really about trying hard and desperate as you can to be a good person and, and, and try not to sort of do those, those things and, oh, I'll stop doing that and I'll stop doing this and I'll try to hard to, no, no, fill your life with the spirit and you won't be doing those things. Because you'll be too busy serving the Lord, too busy preaching, too busy reading, too busy encouraging, too busy involved in serving and, and appreciating and thanksgiving and praise and worship to the Lord. Too many, too busy thinking about the future, too busy thinking about wonderful things. The Bible has to encourage us to be worried about the lust of the flesh. That's important. In 2 Corinthians 5 it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. You know, there are times when our children hang on to us because it's a little unsteady, a little unsure what they're going through, crossing the road perhaps, going over a bridge or whatever, and they'll hold your hand. Maybe in the dark when they get out of the car and they've got to go into the house, they'll hold your hand. We've got a hand to hold. We've got a heavenly Father's hand. Let's hold his hand because he'll lead us into all righteousness. He'll lead us through the paths, whatever they may be. In Romans 6 it says we should walk in newness of life. Now sometimes people who are brought up in the Lord think, well, I haven't got much to compare with. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. (laughs) Maybe you didn't do anything. Maybe, hallelujah, you might be 25 years of age and you've never touched a drink of alcohol in your life. Praise the Lord. But you know what alcohol does. And maybe you've never touched a drug. drug. I wouldn't even know what it looked like. But you know what it does. You know the effects of the world. So all those people who have been brought up in the Lord, whether you're first generation, second generation or third generation, don't lament that. Praise the Lord that you've been brought up in an environment that excludes all of that stuff, but you're still well aware of it. You're still aware of the news. You're still aware of what people are doing. And you're no doubt mixing with people at work and university or wherever. And you know what their lifestyle can be like. And you know what they're embroiled in. And we've been delivered by all of that. And we walk in newness of life, not in those things. Let us walk honestly in Romans 13, as in the day. Nothing to hide. We're honest people. We walk honestly. We're upfront. We're truthful. We've got integrity. We've got dependability. We've got reliability. We've got trustworthiness. We should demonstrate that. Walk in wisdom, it says in Colossians, towards those without, also redeeming the time. In in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Hallelujah. In Colossians 1, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Yeah, choices, our decisions, in our agreement and thoughts, particularly our thoughts, always changing our focus from ourselves to God, walking with him, walking with God. And God will take care of us. He took care of all the people in the Old Testament. He certainly took care of Noah. He certainly took care of Enoch. Enoch was taken away. He didn't have any more troubles. Wherever he is, he hasn't got to deal with anything anymore. Hallelujah. God will watch over us. In Isaiah 43, it says this, 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame even kindle upon you. Hallelujah. So when we're walking with God, we're walking safely. We're working, walking securely. We're walking with a purpose. We know exactly where we're going and exactly what we're going to do. I was going to go on a little bit, I don't know, but in, in First Thessalonians it talks about, well, we'll just quickly go there. I'm sorry I'm going over time, but we, well, there's no end point to today, is there really? We can go till five o'clock, that's our normal time. I'm sure I can't see anybody, but I'm sure there's a few frowns out there. Anyway, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Regard, this is two talks, all right? We answer the question, then we get onto the talk of walking. For uh, verse one of First Thessalonians. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, as he says, beseech again there, uh, by uh, by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of how we ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. The word there ought, as you know, in the Greek, di must, obviously not logical necessity. The Lord's looking after us. The Lord's given us the Holy Ghost. The Lord's given us new life. The Lord's given us the salvation message. The Lord's promised to walk with us, to hold us, to see us through, to overcome, like Daniel in the lion's den, like Paul and Silas in the prison, like David and Goliath, whatever. Dozens and dozens of examples of people who were confronted with whatever they were confronted with and the Lord saw them through. Timothy, uh, In Timothy we read there about Paul writing to him and saying, oh, there are various ones that have forsaken me, but, but God stood by me. And I was delivered, he said, out of the mouth of the lion. Paul never had to face a lion that I'm aware of, but he was delivered out of the mouth of whatever roaring lion is out there to devour us in some way or other. He was delivered as we will be delivered, of course. What an amazing message this is. In just a few verses, in Genesis chapter 5, tucked away in the genealogy, you know what is possible, that you could read the first part of that genealogy and get a bit sick of it. Oh, he begat this and he begat that and so on. Oh, I'll jump to chapter 6. And you might miss those three verses about Enoch. And those three verses are life and death. I just want to read a couple more scriptures. I don't want you to turn to them. I, I jotted them down a bit earlier up here. And, uh, and they were um, one from Psalm 49, which uh, read this way, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And the other one was, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. That word receive there is exactly the same Hebrew word as took in Genesis chapter 5. Receiving, I don't think, has the same power and impact as taking. You know, it's like, oh, someone's knocked on your door, oh, you received him into the house, you felt almost obliged to, he's knocking at your door at 11 o'clock or something other. No, the word is take. God didn't just receive Enoch, he took him. So let's read that again. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall take me unto himself for all eternity. And in Psalm 73, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward take me to glory. That's the promise. So the message is very clear. Enoch heard about judgment, heard about translation, heard about the future, 
heard about what more there was to come, despite the corruption that he was embroiled in at that time and was getting worse and worse, as we are seeing in the world today. Despite all of that, he, he lived accordingly. He lived according to God's principles. He can still do it. We can still do it. He did it then despite the opposition and God rewarded that as a, an example for us that there is a great reward coming. If you abide in the counsel of God, I'm coming to take you. And there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears, no more this life, no more immorality, no more corruption, no more day-to-day affairs, no more of the mundane, no more of the stuff you've got to deal with in your life. No more wonderful things that are confronting you all the time that you've got to, oh, no, dear me, it'll be totally taken care of. And what did we read? He had this testimony. May I just conclude by saying, let's make sure we have this testimony that we walk with God and we'll live forever. Up we go and meet the Lord. All the people said,